911, what's the nature of your emergency? Fire military and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living podcast, I'm your host, Ashley Walton, joined by my friend, Patrick Foldner. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show, Ashley. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. It's been a long time coming. And for anybody who's wondering, yes, that is a green screen. Patrick is not sitting out on his front porch drinking coffee. You've gotten that question before, so I thought I would mention that because I thought it was really funny. And um, this is not a green screen behind me. And this is actually our very first live interview for the year. We did, gosh, I want to say I interviewed well over 100 people last year, which I'm always so grateful to do because anytime that somebody is willing to gift their time to me, I'm certainly appreciative of that. So, Patrick, thank you so much. And um, we're going to get into your score, your story, but you and I connected because you actually have your own podcast. And if you read here under or by Patrick's name, it says The Knock and Talk Show. Um it is so entertaining. I highly recommend you go and download all of his episodes. He is continuing to bring on incredible guests and guests that share stories. And, you know, we're going to get into that. But first, Patrick, I want to know a little bit about your background, who you are, and kind of the, the synopsis of how you are now versus how you came to be. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'll, I'll do the Reader's Digest version since we're, you know, not going to be doing a three-hour marathon interview. Um, I went to high school in Baltimore. Um, actually, I, I was born in Florida, and, and we moved around quite a bit. Uh, my dad worked for Motorola and ended up working in the public safety um, division of Motorola. And But we moved around because of his promotions and uh, graduated high school in Baltimore. And uh, then I moved to... Birmingham after my grandmother passed away to live with my my grandfather help him out right after she she passed away and it only took about six months of listening to his romantic stories of the second world war and uh, all the things that he saw and got to do in the army air corps while stationed in england that i joined the air force and uh, i spent four years uh, as an f-16 avionics technician Station at Moody Air Force Base down in Valdumpster, Georgia. And if you've ever been to Valdumpster, Georgia, I'm sorry. Uh, if you don't ever go, you're not missing anything. Um, after four years, uh, from 95 to 99, uh, there was more job opportunities in Metro Atlanta than there was in South Georgia. So my parents had moved from Baltimore to Atlanta with my dad's job. And I just moved up and that started my law enforcement career. Um, I started off at uh, the Gwinnett County Police Department in uh, North Metro Atlanta. I was there six years. And uh, then I moved to a small town that uh, was two square miles. It was a seven man police department. Um, there wasn't a traffic light in town and uh, there was 250 something bedrooms um, in in the in the whole city, so it was a very small town. I felt like Barney Fife, um, and and asked the chief on a regular basis if I could put my bullets in my gun, just you know, to be funny. And um, I was there two years, and the the city couldn't afford the police department anymore. This was during the first bubble burst, 
2007, 2009. So they closed the doors, gave the uh, law enforcement duties over to the sheriff's office. And um, I ended up at a college police department um, in Gwinnett County. So I, may, I went back into, into Gwinnett there. I was there uh, four years, uh, finally made sergeant six months in. And uh, six months later, I was given uh, a narcotics dog and uh, actually went to um, Alabama Law Enforcement Canine Training Center, uh, Alabama Canine for short. Uh, so shout out to Ricky Farley. Um, uh, that was a great time. It was the best, best job I had in law enforcement. And I had a, 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 a she was 40. 40 pounds, uh, female chocolate lab, dynamite dog, made me look good as a handler. Um, 10, 10 months after being partnered up with her, we did a, a, a training camp down in Orlando, and we actually ended up winning a competition. I didn't even know it was a competition. And I, I took home a trophy that was about six inches shorter than I was. Uh, so um, we dynamite. have that picture in the promo picture, right? Is that the trophy yes. you're talking about? Yes. And um, then I tore my rotator cuff uh, about uh, seven years ago. And that uh, that was my gun hand. And that was the same time frame that the Michael Brown stuff was happening out in the Midwest of uh, hands up, don't shoot, can't breathe, all that stuff. So when, um, when I actually got better, uh, my wife said, I don't care. You're not getting back into law enforcement. Find something else to do. So um, I bounced around from uh, from career job to job and then eventually said, you know what? Um, I'm going to take a shot at entrepreneurialism and started uh, a couple of companies. And uh, currently I, I own a, a new business consulting firm that helps uh, aspiring and new business owners actually form their business entity legally, sort of like LegalZoom without the, the huge price tag. So I, I wrote an ebook uh, as a step-by-step -step, uh, in the process. So you could do it yourself um, instead of having to pay somebody to do it, or you can pay me to do it and I'll do it for you, uh, which, is a, which is great because my wife is a CPA and owns her own firm. So uh, it's a good, good connect where I can get new business owners started and then pass them off to her and she can take care of their tax planning and, mm. and make sure that they are able to keep the majority of their profits and not give it back to Uncle Sam. Yeah, that's awesome. I am a big proponent of making sure that we have multi streams of revenue. Good morning to everybody who's tuning in. And I don't want to forget to say, what am I giving away today, Patrick? Do you remember? I yes. Know it was nice. What's it called? Some, uh, it's the Batman blade. The yeah, the it is called the Dark Knight Twin Blade Knife. So to whoever comments the most within 24 hours, you can ask questions, talk to each other. If you have any questions for Patrick while he's live or while we're done, please let us know and we'll make sure to get to them. And um, Patrick, you mentioned that your father worked in Motorola and I'm bringing that up because you actually have a super sweet story about how there's a connection there with how that led you to become a police officer in the first place. So can you share that? Oh, yeah. Um, gosh. Um, dad worked for Motorola his whole life, uh, basically a after college. And um, he ended up working uh, here in Metro Atlanta in the public safety division of Motorola. 
And on the the MARTA, which is the uh, subway, it's the trail line or the mass transit system for uh, Metro Atlanta, their buses and their and their trams. And he worked for their police department and designing and upgrading their their uh, law enforcement radio equipment. And um, gosh, I, I don't really know where to take the story after you were, that. You were, it's okay. It's funny because before we hopped on here, I had told Patrick about his nickname and he was like, how, the, how did you know that? So I'm, I'm dropping questions with um, previous knowledge. And you made mention of a commercial that you had seen when you were younger that had Motorola on oh, it. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Thanks for, um, anyway, uh, there was a TV show when I was growing up called Chips. Some of you may know it. Uh, millennials may not know it. Uh, although no, there was a movie, it's an awful movie, paid no real tribute to the TV show, but there was a TV show called Chips. And it was all about the uh, California Highway Patrol. And the intro to that TV show um, was a super cool 70s disco style song, uh, but it would do flashes of the characters and their motorcycles because it's all about two motor cops. And there's this section in the intro that shows them grabbing a Motorola radio and you can see the emblem plain as day. And it's there for like, I don't know, two seconds. And that was the coolest show ever growing up because that had dad's radio in, uh, in the show. And that was part of what led to my desire to get into law enforcement was those stories out of chips. And the things those guys got to do. And um, even though I've never been on a motorcycle, I have no desire to ever get on a motorcycle. And that's actually a story for, uh, well, maybe today or, or another day. Um, I came close. I was actually, I'll tell it. I was actually in a Harley dealership uh, on my lunch break as a detective because uh, my both my sergeants were motors guys. And uh, they were trying to get everybody in the unit to get on a bike so we could do unit trips on the weekends. And so I was there, I was filling out the paperwork and uh, an accident with injuries was called out right in front of the Harley dealership. And it was a fatality where uh, a motorcyclist turned left and some, and right in front of uh, an, a passenger vehicle. And whenever a motorcyclist meets a passenger vehicle, it doesn't usually end up well for the motorcyclist. So unfortunately that person passed away, but I felt like that was God telling me you don't need to be on a motorcycle. Uh, so I took the application back away from the guy and went out and directed traffic um, while the uniform officers did the investigation. So, um, but I loved that show chips and that is probably the first nail in the foundation of me getting into law enforcement. Thank you for sharing that. I thought that was such a sweet and cool story because we don't always realize how such small things like that have a giant influence on us when we get older. And uh, Clint and I were just recording an episode about the influence of people who say negative things to us when we're younger and how incidentally that carries over and we might not even realize it until we do the deep work and we start to really think about it. So I thought that was an awesome story. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I had talked about your nickname 2% and I want to link that as a segue for us to be able to talk about 
why you believe that humor is such an important element of life and maybe how you might have made a transition with carrying that over after your career in law enforcement. So tell us a story about how your nickname of 2% came to be. Okay. All right. So um, picture this. Uh, I'll, t- I'll take you back four years prior. When I joined the Air Force, uh, I had to gain five pounds in order to, to get into the Air Force. I was 110 uh, out of high school and I had to be 115. So I went on a, on a um, McDonald's and Burger King uh, binge uh, the week before MEPS, final MEPS to, to weigh in. <clears throat> so fast forward four years, um, I weighed 125 when I got out of the Air Force. And I'm not a tall guy. I'm five seven with my boots on first thing in the morning. And um, so when we graduated the academy, uh, they had just issued us a bunch of uniforms and didn't give us time to have them tailored before we did uh, our graduation picture. And then they sent us out to field training. So I show up to the first night of field training on the graveyard shift in the most high speed uh, precinct of the Gwinnett County Police Department, uh, Westside Precinct. And my uniform was super wrinkly. It was way baggy. My pants were too long. Uh, the sleeves were too long. And this was, um, I guess, April-ish. So it was still kind of brisk at night. So we had to wear long sleeves. And uh, the first crack, as soon as I walk into roll call was, hey, kid, does your dad know you're wearing his uniform? Uh, and it just, it, it went from there. Um, they, they, they took phone books and duct taped them together and put them in, in my driver's seat uh, so that I could see over the steering wheel. Um, they, they would put car seats uh, in my seat, both when I was riding with my training officer or if I was driving that night, there was always going to be a car seat in my seat. So uh, that to, to sort of give you a background of, of how jolly these guys were um, and how accommodating they were to, to my needs as a vertically challenged officer. And um, I, <laughs> I come into roll call and they're passing out a bolo. And I'm sure everybody knows that to be on the lookout of a, of a missing child. And the, the picture of that bolo could have been my third grade picture. I mean, it was, it was me without the mole. And um, so they started, you know, did your mom know where you're at? Hey, call Faulkner's mom, would you let him know he's wearing his dad's uniform again? I mean, it just went on and on and on. And uh, that first week, this is all in the first week of field training with these guys. That first week, every call we went on, on the midnight shift, either had a, um, a naked woman a um, scandally clad dressed woman or just an overly drunk, high, out of her mind, flirtatious woman. And uh, this one particular call was a DUI traffic accident where it was a single car. She hit a, f- a phone booth she was or a phone pole and she was coming back from the club. It was like three o'clock in the morning and she was wearing her her club gear. Um, so stripper clothes plus one layer and, um, she had some work done. Like maybe God didn't bless her with everything she wanted. So she added some 
uh, fluff to anyway. That's such a classy way to put it. Here <laughs> and um, she she was I, I was I was given the duty of making sure she doesn't fall over, she doesn't hurt herself because again she is drunk, she failed field sobriety, um, and my training officer just wanted to see me squirm. So she kept reaching out to touch my hands and I'm like, please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. And every time I would take a step back, I would look down to see what was behind me because we were in a parking lot and those um, tire stoppers were in each parking space. So I didn't want to trip over that and look like a, you know, an idiot. So I would look down. And this one particular time that I looked down she had already stepped forward. I hadn't stepped back. And the tow truck driver yells over to my training officer, hey, look at your rookie. And from their point of view, my head is down. Her inflatables were here. And uh, so then the breast milk joke. <laughs> because Bolo are on milk cartons. And well, I couldn't be whole milk because I was a short guy. So ended up being 2% milk and that stuck. So there is your long uh, explanation into 2%. Um, well, I love, I love it. Thank you for getting into that and sharing that with us. I thought that was funny because since 1999. Well, you have one more person who's going to be calling you 2% now. And All right. I, I, I think that it really says a lot to the notion of how a lot of officers will deflect with humor. And I'm wondering, because in your your pre-interview questionnaire, you had said on here that there is a high importance in finding the humor in things and being able to laugh at ourselves. So why is something like being called 2% and not being a little bitch about it, why is that so important for all of us? Well, in law enforcement, very similar to, to the military world, you, you earn your nickname. You don't give yourself a nickname. You earn it. So you've done something, whether it was good or bad, to get it. So you just sort of have to accept it. And uh, I knew if the guys didn't like me, then they wouldn't have gone through the trouble of naming me. And uh, I've, I've had a couple other short-term nicknames in my career, but the one that always stuck and stayed was 2%. And the reason why it was humorous. And I, I spent uh, a year and a half in the special victims unit and well, hashtag side notes. I wish I could have solved the crimes in one hour to include commercials. I don't know how those guys on SVU. <laughs> but anyway, um, there were a lot of dark moments, a lot of dark times in that unit, but as well as in, in patrol. I mean, you see the evil in everyone. And it's very rare that um, out sort of in the wild, you get an opportunity to smile or laugh. And uh, I've always been raised in in the notion that laughter is some of the best medicine you can have. And if we can't laugh, if we can't joke around, the job is way too serious. It's way too dark and we'll implode. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a high amount of alcoholism in law enforcement, in the military, because um, officers don't know how to decompress that day. I mean, they go from uh, an alarm call that they've been on three times that shift, four times the shift before to, you know, an accident with injuries with a fatality. It's a gruesome scene to a kid that doesn't want to, to make his bed 
or wash the dishes to um, a robbery or burglary in progress to a traffic stop where they have to fight somebody. And that's all in an eight hour shift. There's got to be a way to release that. And humor is the easiest way to do it because there's humor in almost all of that. So um, when I first got to special victims unit, my sergeant told me two jokes and I'm not going to tell them because they're awful jokes. Um, but he told me two jokes and he said, right now you better find these jokes horrifying in two months. You better laugh at them or you need to leave. Mm. And uh, I mean, they truly are awful jokes. So like when I've had maybe one or two too many bourbons and I'm in a non-police party or gathering and people want to hear you know, stories. And if I don't particularly care for those people, I'll tell those two jokes and they walk away and I don't have to deal with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you the jokes off camera um, if, you, if you'd like, or if anybody would like to hear them. I'm just not, I mean, they're really bad. So anyway, um, we have to be able to laugh. We've got to be able to work through some of that and you've got to do it uh, together so that you're not alone. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, in humor, we got to laugh at ourselves. We can laugh at each other. We got to laugh at ourselves. Um, or we just, it's the wrong career because it's just too, it's too deep too often not to laugh. Yeah. And I love that because typically humor is a shared experience. So I, that's actually not even something that I've ever thought about before. And Humor is something that I love being around. So no matter how horrible those jokes are, yes, I do want to hear them. And before we wrap this up, Patrick, congratulations on your son entering basic training. I saw oh, yeah. you posted the picture of that. And I'm curious to know what what talks or maybe what advice you might have given to him that might pour over to somebody else who perhaps is just starting their career in law enforcement or joining the military. Um, son, you should have joined the Air Force. <laughs> uh, he, he, my, my son, Morgan, um, was able to use his cell phone on Sundays for about 30 minutes. So I would get about a seven-minute phone call every Sunday while he was in basic training. And the second phone call he, he, he called, he said, Dad, I've already had that moment. And I was like, what moment? He said that I wish I would have joined the Air Force moment. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I guess my advice to, to someone starting out, uh, whether it's in law enforcement or military, it's um, pay attention. Uh, the, the, the guys and gals um, before you have paved that path for you to, to now walk. Um, there would be times that, that's easy, times that are fun, times that suck. And then times that really suck. And when they really suck, you need to pay attention to what those other people around you are doing to see how they're coping with the suck. I mean, there's, I was in the Air Force, but I know there's a, an army saying, or maybe it's maybe it's a Marine saying, but embrace the suck. And you have to. Um, otherwise, again, it's the wrong job for you. That's beautiful advice. And I love that so much because it's actually transferable, right? Like no matter what profession, that's something we can all use. 
such a good tactic to get people away, right? Just drop some really horrible jokes, have someone yes. in your back pocket. Yeah, that's exactly why I want Patrick to tell me his bad jokes. <laughs> awesome. Well, Patrick, how can people get a hold of you if people want to know more about you or listen to your show? What is what is the plug that you want to put in? Yeah, so uh, hashtag knock and talk show. Um, you can you can find us at uh, Facebook slash knock and talk show, uh, knock and talk dot com. Uh, we're on uh, Apple podcast as well as Spotify and uh, Google and Amazon podcasts and Samsung podcast, all, all the big ones. You can find us there. Uh, if you want a quick and easy way to get to all those, just go to knockandtalk.com. And if somebody wants to potentially be a guest on your podcast, what is the criteria of somebody that you're looking for? Um, you know, military veteran, law enforcement veteran, uh, first responder of any kind. So um, you know, the, fi the firemen, uh, EMS folks, uh, even dispatchers, uh, corrections officers, uh, there's there's humor in everywhere. And uh, everybody's got stories. Uh, and, and again, um, actually, I, I appreciate you allowing me to plug, but these uh, my podcast is all about the funny stories and the stories need to be told so they can be shared and not and not die when we go and not be lost and forgotten. And um, I've had the opportunity to, to hear some great stories from some amazing people and um, I would love to have more. So uh, it's really simple. Uh, it, it's unscripted, very similar to this. Uh, we just chase rabbits wherever the rabbits go and, and um, share the funny stories. Cool, well, awesome. Thank you to everyone who is listening, knockandtalk.com. And um, yeah, if people don't start commenting more, then I might just keep that Batman knife for myself because it's pretty badass. But it thank, is, thank you. It is. it is, right? Yeah. Thank you, you guys. Have a really awesome day. And Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, everybody be safe.